kids-first coming attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie or digital media, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll take you behind the scenes, interview celebrities, and review new movies, TV shows, and digital releases. Now, here are your hosts from Kids First Coming Attractions. Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Ashley Klein from Washington, D.C. Today, we'll be talking about Elemental. We'll be hearing a review and an interview with Zoe about Elemental. We'll be meeting two new film critics, Daniel and Connor. And we'll be listening to the interview with Gianna about Pupstruction. We'll be listening to the interview with Dominic about Prehistoric Planet 2. We'll be listening to David and Avalon's interview with the cast of The Last Writer as well as Madeline's interview with Isabella Hoppus, Caden muller Jansen about the villains of Valley View. And now we'll be talking with Sydney about the new Disney animated film, Elemental. How are you, Sydney? I'm great. How are you? I am fantastic. This is a highly anticipated film that Disney has come out with this year. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, so Elemental is about a girl from the fireside of Element City that meets a guy from the water side. As you know, water and fire don't really go well together. So it's interesting because they try their best to solve a problem without conversing much. And it's just like a really creative idea. And I I like the plot a lot. Awesome. And can you tell me about the, you said that the main characters are fire and water. Can you tell me a little bit more about their personalities? Is it the same as I would presume is? For example, fire being angry and water being, I guess, nice? Yeah, so um, Ember is the fire girl and Wade is the, um, the water guy. Ember has anger issues and she tries to manage them, which is a great lesson. And But she is really, really supportive and nice to her friends. And Wade, he's more emotional, sad, really empathetic. And even though their character traits are not exactly the same, they get along really well. And I think that's a really important aspect. Cool. And this is a uh, Pixar production. Um, and Pixar, what Pixar does well is uh, it's world animation creating different worlds mm-hmm. can you tell me about the setting of this series of this yes movie? so this movie is set in elemental city and that's where the four elements water fire air and earth live together kind of <laughs> except fire the fire side of the city is kind of separated from everyone else and i just really like how pixar um created this idea because it ha- shows that people have a lot of differences and despite that they can still get along and the animation like you said because of Pixar it, it's really magical and beautiful and while I was watching it I felt like I was in the city with them so I just overall really like the animation in the film. Cool and I want to touch on what you just uh, talked about um, mm-hmm. do you think that um Pixar and Disney, do you think that um, their goal was to create a metaphor um, to diversity in in our own world with using um, the elements of Earth? Yes, absolutely. So um, in this film, there were a lot of hidden messages, and I think they were really creative and intellectual about how they 
piece it together. And I like how you worded that. It's like a whole big metaphor. Um, but yeah, it's just teaches you to celebrate your differences. And there's like a lot of hidden messages in the film, which is why I think it's beneficial for younger audiences to watch it. So. Well, and, and also with the main characters, I'm interested since Ember is fire and Wade is water, how's their relationship in the film? <laughs> so how they met was Ember's house was on fire because of her anger issues. And she tried to get some water to extinguish it. But Wade ended up coming into her house, I guess. And Wade and Ember, their relationship, they try to get along as much as they can. But the thing is, they could really hurt each other. Like, Wade could extinguish Ember and Ember could make Wade evaporate. And in the mm. end, that's what makes the relationship really difficult. But they find, they find a way to make it work. And that's really important. Cool. And then also, um, are there any, I know you said there are a lot of hidden messages, and I know we're talking a lot about earth elements. Is there any mm -hmm. environmental messages in this film that we may see? Oh, that's a great one. Um, in the film, there are a lot of ships in the harbor that are actually bringing pollution into the city. So that's a hidden message environmentally. But other than that, I think it's more about personalities and stuff. Awesome. And for our last questions, can you explain to me your um, um, what you rate this film, um, the age recommendation, and where we can watch it? Yes. So I give Elemental 4.5 out of 5 stars. I really, really enjoy the film. And I recommend it for ages 5 to 18. Because like I said, the younger audience would definitely benefit from watching it and elemental released in theaters on june 16th and is expected to start streaming on disney plus shortly thereafter great well thank you so much sydney thank you you're listening to kids first coming attractions today we're talking about elemental we're meeting two new kids first film critics we're talking about obstruction Prehistoric Planet 2, and Villains of Valley View. And right now, we'll be listening to Zoe's interview with the cast of Elemental, Leah Lewis, and Mama Do Athe. Hi guys, welcome to Miami. It's so great seeing both of you. You were actually my very first Zoom interview, so it's so refreshing seeing you. And I saw you in Winwood for Jurassic World, so this is super fun. Yeah, oh my goodness, going? wait, what interview was it? Uh, for the half of it. <gasps> hey, that's awesome. <laughs> it's good to see you again. It's good to see you. I love the story of Elemental because I think it challenges humanity's beliefs in so many ways. Mm. So what was the most challenging part of making this film for you guys? Hmm. You know, it's hard to say because on there's nothing really challenging about the movie. Yeah. There are things that, you know, obviously required work and certain things were exhausting. But I mean, it's a little embarrassing to even say that because we know what the animators did to make this movie. Mm -hmm. And that was truly beyond imagination. Um, really, this has really been a joy. It's been a real pleasure. It's all been a joy. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the only challenges that I really had are just going on with myself. Like, really wanting to do this film justice and tell mm -hmm. the story as heartfelt as possible, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I love your character because it combines two completely opposite uh, character traits because she's very volatile, but at the same time, super caring and sweet. So how oh. is it to kind of combine those two into one character? I'm so glad that you noticed that because at first glance, you could think, wow, like she's super explosive and kind of a fireball. But when you look into her backstory and her life, you see that, you know, she's actually quite protective. She's very loyal to her family and she has a lot of soft qualities. And like, I think it's cool to see a female character like this also have both because you can be that dynamic, you know? Yeah. And I love how Wade also is constantly challenging her, but in a positive way, yeah. even though he's a crybaby. So did you find yourself like <laughs> oh. crying in the booth? Um, yeah, I cried. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, not all the time. And some of it is like, you know, the more comic effect crying. But there are moments, I mean, the script is just so moving. Mm-hmm. And the story is so moving. And it feels so personal to me that I couldn't help but to be moved by the story and the, the, almost the lyrics. The script. <laughs> the, the lyrics, the music. But just No, the, the, the script. Uh, John, Kat, Brenda, they wrote a beautiful script. And Pete is such a, uh, a tender director that it just kind of elicits a kind of emotion in you that you can't help but sometimes cry. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful story about connection between these two characters, which I think is is beautiful. And Thanks. also your character in the half of it, Leah, or no, Ellie Chu, I think mm-hmm. that kind of opened a door for Elemental. Do you think so? I think there's lots of similarities between wow. those two characters. Actually, you're so on the nose with that. So Peter actually mentioned that he had watched the half of it and he had seen this character, Ellie, that, you know, one, she was fiercely also protective of her father and very mm-hmm. family oriented. But she had kind of a softness to her that was only in private. But then she was also quite fierce and very grounded and strong in many other areas of the film. And Peter had heard my voice because I did a lot of voiceover in that film. And he, you know, did some more deep diving. And that's actually how he decided to even bring me in for a meeting. But I think, like, you know, Ember's way more explosive than Ellie is. But they definitely come from the same family in terms of the way that they move around in the world. And just, you know, their defensiveness actually just being very reserved. And I think it's actually a really beautiful thing at times. Yeah, it is beautiful, especially to watch on the big screen. And I think the basic um, premise of Elemental is that we can all coexist and that that's really essential in our world today. So um, what do you think can really make humanity come together in today's society? Fundamentally love. That's always been the thing that's that's brought people together. Understanding and love and, you know, just open-mindedness, you know. Absolutely. And did you guys have the opportunity to record in the booth together at all? We did not. We actually met last year at D23. And it's shocking, though, because Peter and Denise and our writers, John and Kat, like they were so good at kind of directing us. And even Peter, he is a voice actor himself as well. He played Mock Wade for me. And I think for Mamadou, he played Ember for him. (laughs) Yeah, I did. It was just so natural. So when you look at it on screen, I was actually really shocked even, even though like I had never met Mama Dear, that I was like, whoa, like it really feels like we've known each other for a really long time. Yeah, it works. It just works really well. Yeah. It does work. Thank you guys so much for talking with me. I love the film. Huge congrats. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Really appreciate that. Let's take a break. I'm your host, Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. 
To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Elemental, Pupstruction, Prehistoric Planet 2, The Last Rider, the, and The Villains of Valley View Season 2. And right now, we'll be talking with new Kids First f- film critics, Daniel S. and Connor S. Welcome to the show, Daniel S. and Connor S. They are two new Kids First reporters, and I'm super excited to be having them on the podcast for the very first time. How are you guys? Really good. Great. Awesome. And as a new Kids First film critic reporter, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with entertainment reporter training? Like what skills or knowledge have you gained through your training process? Daniel, do you want to start first? Yes. um, The main thing I've learned is the technical aspects and the formatting in writing and recording a review. Um, I've learned a lot about the process and um, how to make it the best it can be. Awesome. And Connor? Well, you had a 48-hour deadline, which was um, which was challenging. So you had to make it really like make it on the dot. I see. So th- so you got the little view of what that that journalistic deadlines are. I had trouble yes. the first time. <laughs> my my experience. Miss Levy can even attest to it. Like I had trouble with the deadlines, <laughs> but you get better over time. And the next question I have, and Daniel, you can start us off with this one. Um, how did you discover Kids First, and what drew you to being a part of the team? Um, well, quite frankly, um, my mom was t- told about Kids First, and she knew that it would be perfect for me because I have a passion for us. Uh, for the film industry. And I also, one of my main passions is writing reviews. I take a lot of joy out of it. So I thought I should involve myself in it. Wow. Word of mouth. That's awesome. And Connor? Um, I had listened to the podcast and I heard that you guys were holding auditions for it. So I decided to um, to audition for it. Awesome. This was really fun. Cool. So as a kid's first film critic you guys have the unique opportunity to watch and review a variety of films tv shows books etc 
what excites you most about being able to share your opinions and insights with others through your reviews? Um, Daniel? Well, I feel I have a lot of um, very particular and unique criticisms and also uh, things I find to be strengths in films. So um, like you said, I feel Kids First gives me an outlet not just to improve my skills, but to really uh, share my thoughts and improve uh, conversationally, uh, articularly. Wow. Love that answer. And, and Connor? When I, uh, when I auditioned, I was thinking about um, being heard because you're, it's, a, it's a worldwide podcast and show. Mm-hmm. So you'd be, you're being heard by everyone around the world. That's a great answer. And um, a question that I got my first time being on the podcast, um, shout out to Zoe, is if you were able to interview, um, like, basically my question is, who would you love to have the chance to interview on Kids First? I would probably interview one of my favorite actors, Christian Bale, because his range is just unmatched. And his skill in acting is just insanely impressive. I totally agree. And I will definitely, after the show, have to ask you about Christian Bale and how fans reacted to his acting in Star Wars. And Connor, um, who would you love to interview? I would really love to um, interview Timothy Chalamet because I, because I had, um, I, I'm, I'm reading the books that he stars in right now. Oh, so the Dune series. Yes. He's I'm, amazing. I'm Great. Well, thank you so much, Daniel and Connor, for those insightful answers. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we're talking about Elemental. We're meeting two new Kids First film critics. We're talking about Pupstruction, Prehistoric Planet 2, and Villains of Valley View. And right now, we'll be listening to Zoe's interview with the cast you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we're talking about Elemental, Obstruction, Prehistoric Planet 2, and Villains of Valley View. And right now, we're going to be listening to Gianna's interview with Jonas Karib, who voices Finny in Obstruction. In this series, there are different breeds of dogs with unique characteristics. How do you think this adds to their ability to get the job done? Um, sometimes it can be a little hard, you know, maybe... They hit a roadblock, like me, for example, as I said, uh, I'm a tiny corgi and I might be smaller than all of the other pups, but, you know, I get the job done. And also Roxy, who's a dog on wheels, um, she may have that disability, but she doesn't let that stop her from doing big things. And she always gets the job done. Speaking of being the smallest pup, um, your character Finney is definitely a leader, even though he definitely is the smallest. How are you similar or different to or from Finney? I'm 12. I'm turning 13 soon. And I'm pretty small for my age. Um, but I feel like I can also relate to Finney because he's small for his age. And um, he, he's also the smallest out of all of the pups. But he has great determination, has a great can-do attitude. And he, he has great ideas and, and big ideas. And he doesn't let his size limit him from doing all these great things. Based on the personalities of the other dogs, who would you hang out with in real life? I love all of the dogs, so I feel like we could all be one little friend group. You know, Tank, he loves his snacks, and I love to eat snacks as well. And Luna, she's super fun and spontaneous. She has uh, a great energy, 
And Roxy also, she's super fun and she always gets the job done. So I feel like I can hang out with all of them. What do you think young audiences will find most interesting about the town of Pittsburgh? Um, the town of Pittsburgh is a very interesting place because, as it's called Pittsburgh, there's all different kinds of animals. There's bunnies, there's fish, there's dogs, there's cats. Uh, yeah, Pittsburgh is a very cute, fun uh, pet, pet, pets city or pets town. And there's plenty of different pets in there. And I think if Pittsburgh was a real thing, I would love to go visit. Pittsburgh is also very colorful and fun. Which was the most fun episode for you to do? One of my favorite episodes was probably the one where I'm helping um, a bunch of kids get to school safe and sound. I'm not going to say it much other than that. I don't want to get in trouble, but you know, yeah, that was probably my favorite one. What was your most memorable part of working on this project? Ooh, um, singing, definitely singing. Because as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm actually bought my piano right here. I play piano and I sing. And that's a very memorable moment. Just working with Rob, who uh, produces all of the music, makes great songs for all of the shows. And I love working with him because I love singing uh, all of the songs and just listening to them for the first time. I'm just super excited for that. And finally, there are a few important themes that stand out in the series. What message do you want audiences to take away from watching this show? So the show age ranges from two to seven. So for those for those kids, um, I feel like I hope that they take away lots of community, uh, commu- or, sorry, talking um, skills and creative problem solving skills and working together as a team and family and to never give up even when they hit a roadblock. That's a great message for people to take out, but I can take it out. Thank you for speaking with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Gianna. Thank you. Let's take a break. I'm your host, Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh. 
turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Elemental, Pupstruction, Prehistoric Planet 2, Villains of Valley View Season 2, The Last Rider, and now we'll be listening to Dominique's interview with Michael Gunton and Tim Walker about Prehistoric Planet 2. Welcome to the show! Hi, great to be with you. Let's get started. Mr. Gunton, this show is highly educational and we learn so much about our ancient past from the series. How closely did you have to work with paleontologists in making the series? How close? Well, I mean, that's as Tim, Mike, Tim and I both say, I mean, they are, that's where it all starts. You know, we're going back in time to tell stories about these extraordinary creatures. Of course, they don't exist now. So the only way we can find out anything about what they might have been like, how they lived, what sort of behavior they had, is by looking at what they left behind. So that's the paleontologists are our kind of guides. There are experts who tell us what evidence there is. And then we use that to interpret that and and recreate and bring those animals back to life. So no, paleontology, absolutely the, the heart of the whole story. I imagine it's difficult to recreate the past based on scientific evidence and some inferences. What were some of the challenges you encountered in making this show? One of the things we like to think is the series is like taking people on safari. It's just back in time on a safari with those paleontologists as the guides. Now, of course, like you say, trying to recreate it is really challenging and trying to get the movements of the animals right, trying to get them looking as if they're real. Because of course, all the animals are created in CGI by using loads and loads of computers. So we spent ages working with the paleontologists to work out what the animals look like, then we work out how they move, then working with specialists in terms of behavior and people that are very used to filming animals, we work out what kind of behavior they would do and how we would film it. And of course, One of the things that we want people to think when they're watching it is that we have really been back in time. And so that means that every time we see an animal, we filmed it in a way as if we were really there. Now, in CGI, you can put the camera anywhere, can't you? You could fly over a dinosaur's head or between its legs. But in real life, you'd never do that. And so we've used the same constraints that you'd have to do if you're filming a T-Rex for real. Like, imagine filming a T-Rex for real. If you were near it, it could bite you or it could kill you. It could eat you. So you'd have to be a really long way away. And that's the same for lots of animals. But then sometimes you can get close with small animals. And it's through working with people like Mike and the other producers in the Natural History Unit that we know the kind of of limitations that we can push to when we're... So that's one of the biggest challenges. Prehistoric Planet 2 highlights five new habitats with incredible biodiversity. Can you share with us a favorite habitat or episode of the series? I did like the this. It's probably easy to say which sequence I like best. So the the last sequence of the opening episode, which has got these two amazing pterosaurs, these these huge flying reptiles, size of a small airplane, and they come down onto the ground and do this wonderful courtship dance, which I think is shows another side of a predator. You know, I've spent lots of my life filming real animals and. You know, you see lots of action and predators hunting and all that stuff. But sometimes the most exciting, the most interesting things are when animals are doing different sorts of behavior. And as Tim was saying, of course, filming that, I hope when you watch that sequence, it feels like you're there witnessing it as if we'd filmed it. That's on a tiny little island. Now, if you were really filming those animals, and I hope you think we were, you can't get very far away from them. And they're really dangerous. 
because you know their beak, their, their bills are six feet long, and they could you know they could eat you just like that. But if you know about animals, when they're courting each other, when they're trying to get a get ready to mate, they don't think about hunting. They they take that they they suddenly become much more gentle, much safer. So we could say to ourselves, right now on this island, we can get close to them. All the time they're in that mating behavior, it'll be safe. Of course, what you worry about is when they stop mating and then they turn around and say, ah, there's a camera in there. Maybe I could eat him. Then you have to be a bit more careful. Get on the boat and get away. This show is truly a masterpiece filled with so much excitement and adventure. I'm curious how long it took to make the series. Um, the whole thing took about four and a half years to make both seasons. The second season, so Prehistoric Planet 2, took about three years to make. But Mike's original idea was over 12 years ago, and it took almost like seven seven or eight years to get everything in place before we could finally start making it. So the moral of the story is, if you have an idea, if it doesn't happen straight away, it doesn't matter, because it'll happen at some point if yeah. you want to make it happen enough. Can you explain in summary just what went into making the highly detailed CGI for the show? If you ask me all those 12 years ago, how what would how would this have been to make? I would never have known how complicated and how challenging it has been to do. But as Tim said, I've made many, many, many wildlife films in my life. This has been one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done because who else, you know, what what greater fun than be able to take audiences back to a world where the most amazing animals that have ever lived and make them feel as if they're with them, as if they're really watching them doing their extraordinary things. That, that's been the joy of it. Was there a great risk in using so much animation for this series? We knew we could do it. We were very confident that we'd be able to bring the planet back to life. And as you say, there's so many different animals and not just dinosaurs. And that was one of the things we wanted to do was show the richness of life. You know, if you if you go to uh, any great wilderness and you see animals together, you don't just see one type of animal, do you? And it was the same in prehistoric times. The dinosaurs were undoubtedly the rulers, but there was the pterosaurs in the sky. There was all the uh, marine reptiles in the seas. And there was loads of other things as well. There was the mammals, there was birds, there was fish, there was snakes. There was relatives of crocodiles. And so we brought them all to life to paint this really rich, diverse environment. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we're talking about Elemental, Popstruction, Prehistoric Planet 2, Villains of Valley View, The Last Rider. And right now, we're listening to David and Avalon's interview with Alex Holmes and Greg Lamond about The Last Rider. Welcome, Mr. Holmes and Mr. Lamond. Hey, David. Hey, Avalon. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. good. Thank you. Good. This is uh, this is Greg. Uh, Hi. How are you guys? Uh, Hello. I'm sure you'll, you'll know who he is from the film. And I'm I'm Alex. I was the director of the film. All right. So I guess to start us off, uh, Mr. Holmes, when were you first aware of this story and what drew you to making this documentary? Uh, I, I first encountered Greg's story when I was actually making a uh, another film about cycling, um, about a much a much darker era in cycling, about when people were taking performance-enhancing drugs to try and cheat. Um, and I was really struck by how Greg's career had really been at its height in the era before any of these drugs were available and how he was a, a, a real champion by comparison with the people who were cheating to win. Uh, 
in that in that other film that I made. And I really wanted to make a positive film uh, about what people can achieve through sport, uh, about the great things that uh, that athletes can can do and uh, how they can overcome problems and challenges uh, um, uh, if they just really focus on on their goals and and just commit and never never give up. And Greg's story just seemed to speak to all of those things. You know, his perseverance, his his uh, his positivity, even though he was beset by some of the most challenging problems uh, uh, an athlete could face, uh, including getting shot and and almost almost killed in a hunting accident. You know, he still believed uh, that he wanted to do this sport and he committed to it and he doubled down on his efforts. And, you know, he came through and I thought it was just a really inspiring story. Definitely. Um, Mr. Lamont, how does it feel to remember these impactful moments in your life? Or revisit well, them? I know it's a long time ago. You guys weren't even uh, a thought, probably. Um, so it's I'm like an ancient uh, dinosaur, probably, for most. Uh, but it seems like it was yesterday. It's a very powerful, you know, in your life. And I think sports are... Especially uh, for me, um, I didn't even expect to become a professional cyclist. I didn't even know if the sport existed. And then to go on and um, hear and learn about the Tour de France is one of the biggest events and sporting events in the world, uh, like World Cup soccer. Um, you know, when I think back now, it's I, I, I appreciate it more than when I was racing. And um, but it seems like it was yesterday. Those moments are very powerful. So you you wish you could relive those uh every year, but uh, I'm, I'm fortunate I was able to just get those uh, three Tour de France victories in um, in my career. Wow, that's amazing. Um, Mr. Holmes, what were your first communications with Le Mans like? Well, you know, I, I think they, Greg and, and his wife, Kathy, who both appear in the film, had, uh, had uh, thought I did a reasonable job on the first uh, film I had interviewed them for. And so I was very grateful that they were prepared to trust me with telling their story because I think it's a big it's a big deal to uh, take your own history and to give it over to a filmmaker and say you know yeah I, I think you're going to do a good job with this so I was very grateful that they trusted me that they gave me their time that they gave me they gave me so many photos and uh, home movies of uh, of their lives and they just allowed me to make the to tell the story as as I saw it and of course, I, I talked to them a lot about about what their memories were and what their experience were, and we did some very very long interviews. Uh, Greg probably remembers just how long they were. <laughs> I really put him uh, through the mill, but uh, but they were just so generous with their time and with the uh, they just shared all their perspectives on their lives, and uh, you know that just gave me great material to work with. And then I fashioned it in the edit, uh, and I'm pleased to say they they seem happy with the result. Well, that was very nice of you to do that for Mr. Lamont. Well, I feel like I was I was the lucky one, actually, because when people trust you with their stories, for me, that's uh, that's such a, a valuable thing, something to be cherished uh, when when someone allows you into their life uh, uh, to, to portray them on screen. It's uh, it's a bit like painting a portrait of someone. And I think that's a responsibility to be to be true, uh, to be honest and 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 to, to paint a portrait that, that they can recognize of themselves. Mm. Uh, Mr. Lamont, how does it uh, feel to share your story with the world? 
Well, I said, I'm the last person who wants to see me on camera. So <laughs> I don't know. I have a weird thing about reading about me or watching me, but, um, you know, I think I'm fortunate that, I mean, it's very rare for a filmmaker to actually want to do a documentary or a film. And so I, I kind of look at it as if, you know, even think thought of writing a book is to me kind of like a little bit narcissistic at, at, at times it could be, but then you start looking at it and going, you know, it's really for your kids and your family. And I think even my kids had no clue about what was going on, even though they were born at that time, uh, we assume they know everything about what happened. Uh, and they, they just, they love the mill. The, they love the film. And I, I said, they, they, it was like a, a reliving in a way their childhood. So I kind of look at it that way as, um, you know, documenting something on film, I think it tells, it's a great way to tell people's story. And I think I'm inspired by uh, different people, not just athletes, people overcome adversity. And to me, those are the ones that I say true champions. Cause it's when I was winning the tour before I got shot, um, it was a breeze. It was like, I didn't even have a bad day, but then when you almost lose your life and having to come back. Um, and I think that's, Overcoming those obstacles really made me appreciate my second Twitter friends by far the it's most exciting one for me. That sounds really amazing. I, I should say that Greg is a very uh, actually a very shy person. Uh, he's a very humble person uh, for a, for a world champion, but he's also very very shy. And uh, uh, you know, I really had to twist his arm a little bit to persuade him to go on camera. Uh, but I, 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 he was brave enough to to give it a go. It's more, I'm, I'm only shy when I'm talking about myself because it seems like hard even, you know, it's glad, I'm glad my wife was there because she could, you know, whatever, say what she wants. But for me, it's kind of like I was a cyclist, you know, big deal. I mean, I, there are a lot of people do some great stuff in the world. And I'm, you know, I always look at athletes. It's also self-driven. It's not always doing stuff for um, somebody else. So I, I'm, that's why I think like Muhammad Ali, one of my favorite athletes, period, because he really stood up for civil rights. He protested the Vietnam War. When you look back at his story, um, that's inspiring to me. And so I wish I had more, um, you know, was more like Muhammad Ali. But um, so I think I think uh, and, and and Alex is also humble. He's he did a, a film called Maiden, uh, Stop at Nothing. And he's a great storyteller. So I was happy to have him. Uh, be part of that. And uh, Mr. Holmes, where did you find all the footage and the never seen before clips? Well, um, a lot of it came from Greg's uh, garage. <laughs> I got, I've got, I got probably a truckload of stuff back. I didn't know I had that much. Mainly came yeah. from my mom and my wife's mother that saved us. So um, then they gave it to us. Um, so we have a lot of stuff. I can't even sort through it. Yeah. So there were boxes and boxes of, uh, of Greg's sort of family photos and uh, videotapes from back in the day when we had videotapes that had been recorded off the television. And we went through all of that. But then, of course, we had to go to the broadcasters who had uh, who had uh, filmed the Tour de France at the time and, uh, you know, uh, get them to share their material and license it off them and uh, piece it together, because often these things aren't very well curated you know, sport is a, on the whole is a is a very uh, transitory thing. You know, it happens on the day that it happens, and that's the big day, and that's when all the the coverage goes out and the news reports are done. And then, what do you do with this stuff? Well, you don't 
always take great care of it. So it was a big job to go and piece piece it all together and find the little shards of of, uh, of footage, little bits of footage everywhere, and kind of glue it back together to make the whole story. Definitely. Uh, Mr. Lamont, what was your experience doing these interviews like? Well, because of COVID, it was remote, and I usually do better in person, but Alex was over in England. I was here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and um, I wasn't feeling good that day, so <laughs> I don't know. why. I was actually diagnosed with leukemia, I think, uh, well, think last year, and I, I think I was struggling through through that for the last couple of years, not knowing it, but I had a lot of bad days and couldn't figure out why. So I, he got me on a really bad day. It didn't look too good. <laughs> and so, uh, but it was, you know, I've done interviews my whole career. Um, and sometimes, especially some of the stuff that Alex interviewed me, I haven't talked about that stuff really publicly in, in, in um, some of the stuff that happened before my cycling career, but also just talking about, um, it's good memories. So it's some of those, most of them are good memories. In the end, you end up minimizing the, the, the difficult days and highlighting all the really positive days. And that's why how people get to move on from setbacks because those setbacks become smaller and smaller. As you um, look back, you just start remembering the good days. Um, Mr. Holmes, how has your experience directing other films helped you direct this documentary? Uh, well, I think all, all 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 films want to tell a story, and so the more stories you tell, the the more the more experienced you are. And every story is different, but but they all uh, you know you all you always want to look for what the what the message is. Why why tell this story? Why this story, not another story? And you know I I found Greg's story so inspiring that that was the thing that I kept in the front of my mind, and I thought, how do I how do I reflect in the film the inspiring feelings that Greg gives gives to me? And that's what I wanted to imbue the film with, this sense of hope that uh, and optimism that even when things look really bleak um, and life is really challenging, uh, that if you if you if you lean on those who love you and if you ask for their support, they will give it. And if you find the strength inside yourself, then you can still achieve great things. And I, I think that was a you know, I really, that's what I got up every day when I was making this film and thought that's the story I want to tell. And, uh, and, and it was an inspiring story. So it's easy. It's easier to tell those stories, I think. And uh, one last question for both of you. What do you hope viewers will take away from this story? Well, that's a difficult one for me to say. I, I, well, I just hope that people could look at it. And, you know, I've had since then, I've had a lot of um, adversity in, in life. And I think, um, the one thing I, I keep saying was one of the coaches on the interview, a guy named Cyril Guimard, um, was both my coach and the, my competition. But he's he was he always said, you know, the race is never over till the finish line, and that in life, that's really it's never, you know, never give up, and it's never really over. You you just got to keep your focus, and you got to you know you can overcome a lot of stuff humans do, and uh, I think. There's anything if some people could take some inspiration from that, I mean that'd be great. And for my part, I, I think the the strongest lesson that I that I took from this film and what I would like uh, audiences to take from it is the the most empowering thing you could do is focus on what you do. You know, just think about giving your best performance. Just think about trying your hardest. Uh, think about being your best self. Uh, don't worry about the opposition. Don't worry about the competition. Just focus on you. And if you focus on you 
then you know you're going to do your very best and 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 you know if you finish the day feeling like you've done your best well then then that's a great day you know if every day you do your best then no one can ask any more from you and i think that's a great lesson to learn all right well thank you both for talking with us thank you great interview Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Elemental, Propstruction, Prehistoric Planet 2, Villains of Valley View, and The Last Rider. Right now, we're talking with Madeline about The Villains of Valley View Season 2. How are you, Madeline? Good, how are you? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> well, first off, um, can you tell me a little bit about how Villains of Valley View um, Season 2 is different from Villains of Valley View Season 1? So, of course, there's a little... Season 1 ended off with kind of a cliffhanger. So it came off from that, but there's new characters and then there's plot twists, like so many plot twists just happening. And each episode just makes you want to watch the next one because you don't know what's happening next. Interesting. And then with every single uh, series, um, I want to know, is it, episodic where there are different adventures of on each episode or is it a flowing series where we have an entire plot line throughout the entire series well there is definitely some connections um there is there's sometimes like part one part twos but those only happen like once maybe twice in the series so mostly it it's a new episode, but sometimes they're connected. Cool. And I have watched <laughs> Villains of Valley View season one, and I personally thought it was great. So um, um, in terms of that, I want to know, 
are there any unexpected alliances or betrayals among any of the villains in this season? Um, actually, yes, there is. I don't know if this be a spoiler or not, but there's a new character and she's kind of, you can't tell if she's nice or she's a, she's a villain, but you can't tell if she's a nice one or if she's a bad one. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> well, can you describe any specific like standout moments or um, episodes from season two um, that, you know, you don't have to spoil, but like anything that you just thought was super cool or different um, from season one? Um, well, of course, you watched it. So you know that one of the characters is a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. So he actually got to be in it so much more. And I found that kind of cool because he's one of my awesome. favorite characters. Um, <laughs> but there's that one scene where he turns into a shark and he jumps through the projector. Oh, through a projector, And I just found that really cool. Maybe it's CGI probably, but I just found <laughs> that cool. My favorite animal is a shark, a shark. So that makes me super happy. I'm so excited to see that. And let's talk about um, the the production, the film. Um, is it better than season one? Is the CGI better? Is the acting better? How did you feel about it? Well, there the fight scenes are a bit more realistic, mm. but. I have to say, other than that, it's mostly the same. But season one was pretty good, so. Cool. And then do we see any new, um, like, locations or settings in this season? Yes, we do. Um, The house stays the same, but, again, the projector, we also get to see. We saw a clip of it in the very last episode of the first season um, of the villains basic basically homes in Cinetropolis but we Mm -hmm. got to see that more and we also got to see more of Cinetropolis cool awesome I'm excited for that (laughs) do the discoveries made um, because I'm assuming there are like discoveries made in this season like, um, have they had any significant impact on, like, you know, the overall plot line and maybe even future storylines? Oh, uh, definitely. In season two, I think it was either episode one or two, there is a character who, this is a spoiler, spoiler alert, sorry, um, but they got shot into the sky, really, like, and when they fell down, the person that kind of got defeated, the bad guy in season one, reappeared. Wow. Yeah, Interesting. so you're probably knowing what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's great for people who have watched it because we kind of know. And then for the people who don't, you guys got to watch season one. <laughs> and to wrap up our awesome interview, can you give me a um, star rating, an H recommendation, and when and where we can see it? I enjoyed this movie a lot. I have to say five out of five stars. I recommend it for ages probably. I don't have the age thing by heart, but nine through 12 um, plus adults. 
Also, it comes out June 15th in movie theaters and June 16th on Disney+. Plus. Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Madeline. I'm sure to watch season two of Villains of the Valley View. Oh, it's also available now. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much, Madeline. You're welcome. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today, we're talking about Elemental, Obstruction, Prehistoric Planet 2, and the villains of Valley View, as well as The Last Rider. And right now, we're listening to Madeline's interview with Isabella Pappas and Caden Muller-Jansen about the villains of Valley View Season 2. Okay, so Isabella, what drew you to working with this show? I loved Wizards of Waverly Place growing up and you know lab rats too i don't know if you saw that but yes i you know i always kind of wanted to be on a show like this where i could make people laugh and i could make people happy and so i was really excited to you know try something new because i hadn't done comedy before but also amy is such a cool character and you know to be able to have superpowers and stuff like who doesn't want to do that so (laughs) i actually watched both of those before i started getting into um the villains of valley view so i know what both of those are Oh, cool. So, Caden, what is the best part about playing your character, Hartley? Oh, well, of course, the best part about playing Hartley is, uh, for me, it's always the friendship between Amy and Hartley. I mean, of course, there's there's so many fun things that I love about playing Hartley, you know, to really let that, that friendship shine on screen and, you know, have girls like you who really relate to that friendship. I mean... That's probably most important to me. I mean, Harley's so much fun, though. You know, she's bubbly and friendly, and she loves to help other people, and those are all, like, very kind, great things. But that would definitely be my favorite. Do you have any fun stories to tell me about working on the show, like, either on or off camera? Oh, I have so many. But um, I think some of my favorites are we get to actually work with animals sometimes on the show, and that's always really fun. And it's cool because, you know, um, Caden and and I are especially like we really love dogs and um so when we get dogs on the show it's really fun because we get to you know hang out with them but there was one episode where we had a turtle and he was really funny and he was a great he was a great actor but he peed all over the place and he was really (laughs) really really he was a crazy turtle but um (laughs) we had so much fun working with him and um just in general the cast is just great and we're all like one big family and so You know, I feel very lucky. We always have a great time when we're on set. I believe the turtle was when, like, Colby hurt his leg shape. Yeah, and he shaped the turtle. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, Caden, tell me about your favorite scene on the show. I have to say, like, my favorite would probably be the one, the We Don't Care music video with with Izzy it was just so much fun to shoot and you know I love singing that was the first thing I did before acting so getting to do that on the show with Izzy and jump around on stage and just sing our hearts out and throw our head all crazy that was that was definitely one of my favorite moments this show has such an interesting storyline Isabella what is your most exciting part about being in this show Ooh, well I love doing the stunts the stunts are really fun and I get to do a lot of my own stunts um and at first it was scary because you know I'm on a wire and you're getting like dropped from the ceiling and I had never done that before 
but then you know after a while it's kind of like a roller coaster and you just want to keep doing it over and over and over again and so by second season you know this season i was kind of like oh please you know i really want to do this stunt where i get thrown across the room or i get you know flipped upside down and it's scary but it's really fun and exciting and it was cool to get to see you know other people in the cast get to do stunts too um and yeah this season was just really fun for that <laughs> that's awesome because i thought you had a stunt character but it's pretty cool that you do all most all of your stunts you have so many great art outfits as hartley what was your favorite one hmm i would probably say at least in season one my favorite outfit one of my favorite outfits this is so hard to pick out of all of them but i would say the one hoodie that had all the colorful stripes on it with the little uh the the jean skirt that was probably one of my favorites i really liked that one <laughs> i really liked that one too i also liked your very first outfit with the, Ooh, the, the overalls yeah. yeah 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 that's that's the iconic hartley hartley outfit it is pretty cute <laughs> thank you um isabella what do you hope audiences will take away from the show I hope that audience will, will take away the fact that you don't have to be perfect to be a good person. You know, you can make mistakes. And as long as that you, you know, you learn from them, that's all really that matters. And I think that Amy isn't perfect. And a lot of the times she doesn't learn the first time from her mistakes, but after a while, and you know, with Hartley's help, she does, you know, she does care about the people that mean the most to her. And, you know, I also want kids to watch the show and just want to be themselves and not be afraid, you know, to just be who they want to be. Thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the newest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps, and to learn how you can join our Kids First Film Critics team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and look for our reviews on Press for Kids, KidsWorld.com, and Kidsville News. This show is produced by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media for Voice America and iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C. Thanks for listening. Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, you know more which movies, TV shows, or digital media to look for, or learned about the talent that worked on or off camera on them, and can make informed decisions about what to watch. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode, and tune in again next week.